never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Cowboy and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Your Folk Radio. This is the Restoration Hour. And today we have a special guest, uh, Pastor Jeffrey Weekly. I just want to say quickly, I, I could almost paraphrase, paraphrase Ronald Reagan there and say uh, the answer to our problems is not Judeo-Christianity. Judeo-Christianity is the problem, okay? <laughs> in, 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 in many cases, even more so than the Talmudic rabbis who have been creating problems for our people for centuries, in many ways the Judeo-Christian churches are just as bad, if not worse. So, uh, Pastor Weekly, uh, we're here to discuss your book, how God gave us the canon of the scriptures. And uh, this is something that most people think, well, this is set in stone. <laughs> Why would anybody write a book about that, right? It was obviously the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD or whatever, right? And so, uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, that's what most people believe, but that is not correct. <laughs> uh-huh, right, right. Yeah, and so what we see is a uh, an attempt by the Roman Catholic Church, although it wasn't yet called the Roman Catholic Church. It, it was under Constantine that that council was called. And so what I'd like to uh, do is quote, uh, well, this is the 2011 edition, and ha- has this been updated at all? Yes, the edition I sent to you, the 2011 edition, was a manuscript that I was working on, and it's had a few additions to it since, but it has now been published. Okay. It's an actual book that anyone can get at lulu.com. Oh, okay. L-U-L-U.com. Very good. You can either type in my name, Jeffrey Weekly, and the book will pop up, or type in the title, how God gave us the canon of the scriptures. Okay. And uh, and you have since added a subtitle, I understand? Yes, a subtitle, What They Don't Want You to Know. Okay, who are they? <laughs> they, <Okay. laughs> we will call that established yeah. Christianity. Okay, uh, the established churchianity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. Okay, so let's pick it up from chapter one. God's word inspired and preserved. Where right. you say, the Bible is not a book written by men with good intentions. The Bible is God's word and was written by men who wrote exactly what God inspired them to write. And you quote Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. Okay, so... This is what most Christians espouse, namely that the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, were dictated to our prophets by Yahweh himself. Is, is that what you're saying here? 
Well, uh, that's I'm saying that it was dictated. Most modern Christians don't believe in dictation anymore. Uh, the church always believed it up until, um, well, about the time just after the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But but they they always used to believe that the, God's word was dictated. Right. But, Modern Christians want to play around with God's Word, so they had to invent their own new forms of inspiration mm-hmm. so that they could play around with God's Word. Yeah. So on page one also, uh, you discuss the word inspiration, which is Strong's number 2315, Theophustos, right. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. and uh, Theonusos. And the, oh, okay. It must be a typo here. Theonusos? Right. Theo okay. means God, and nusos could be breathed, or it's the same word that's translated spirit. So literally, God's word is God's spirit. Mm-hmm. Inspiration means God's spirit or God breathed. Yes, yes. So when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, he became a living soul. Everything that God breathes has life, and that's why God's word is alive. You know, when you're witnessing to someone, you can speak all your words you want to, and the person may never remember a thing you say. But if you quote the scripture, <laughs> right, <laughs> they will remember because God's word is alive. Right. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and there's. Uh, I've always uh, found that certain passages speak to me in a way that I can't uh, can't ever forget the passages. Like uh, John 7, 1, Jesus would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I use that passage whenever somebody says the Romans killed Christ. Okay. So, well, uh, the Bible says several times that the Jews killed him. So that's, that's right. Their argument is with the word. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, with God's inspired word, actually. Right? Right. Yeah, okay. That's right. And so you quote uh, the early church writers here were also of the opinion that the scriptures were dictated by God. Caius, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Well, one of the first ones is in the writings of uh, the fragments of Caius, and it's in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, volume 5, page 602, where we read... For either they do not believe that the divine scriptures were dictated by the Holy Ghost and are thus infidels, or they think themselves wiser than the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, we've got a lot of those people around today. (laughs) Right. Right. Those people are still here today, aren't they? Right, right. I thought the word infidel was only used by Muslims against other (laughs) non-Muslims. Right? (laughs) Right. But I know Paul uses it as well. Okay. Right. Okay, so uh, uh, from the uh, that's from the fragments of Chaos, section three, right. Anti-Nicene Fathers, volume five, page six hundred two, and uh, I have found over the years that reading the writings of the uh, early patriarchs, you know, the the early Christian patriarchs, is very instructive, and getting their opinions of uh, you know because uh, that was passed down to them directly from the apostles in many cases, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, they 
discouraged us from reading the church fathers because they were afraid we would become Catholics. (laughs) That's funny. It is funny because I've spent the last 30 years reading them, and I'm not Roman Catholic yet. (laughs) Yet? Okay, yeah, yeah, nor likely to be. Okay, before no, we definitely. yeah before we continue, because uh, most of our listeners are not familiar with you or your ministry, uh, why don't you tell us you know how you got into this business called Bible research and Bible scholarship? Okay, well, um, before I could even talk, I knew that I was going to be a preacher. Uh, my parents took me to church, and I saw the preacher up there, and I just knew that I was going to do that. Okay. And that's kind of intimidating on a child growing up, knowing what you're going to do ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, it took me about 30 years before I realized that, (laughs) right? So it's good to know your life path right from the very beginning. Uh, Right. Did you ever correct any of those pastors who were at the pulpit? During services, no, but I no. would ask curious questions. They would always tell us how the world hates Christ, uh, and uh, then during Christmas time, I'd ask them, "Well, they seem to love Christmas. How come that's so?" Right. Yeah. And then you know, be quiet, kid. You're asking too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. And so then. Um... You know, at what point did you, you know, did you start writing books, or did you become a, a, a pastor of a church? What, what happened next? Well, um, actually what happened is, is I went into the Marine Corps in my youth because I was so rebellious and wanted to do things my way. Naturally, I decided mm-hmm. to join the Marines. <laughs> yeah, you do it their way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I learned about my way that day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but God used it for good. It was there that um I actually dis- decided to turn my life over to God. Okay. I had been born again in nineteen seventy six. But like many young Christians, my walk with the Lord was uh <laughs> Well, it was not stellar. I okay. That. All right. And I was back and forth, up and down, like many Christians are, and I couldn't understand why. But when I joined the Marines, I was no longer under the influence of my family or my local church. And if I was going to serve God, I had to do it because I chose to. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I started studying, and I didn't know very much about the Bible. I knew the Bible was God's Word. I was raised in a Baptist church, and I prayed. I said, God, if the Baptists are wrong, just show me. You show me Mm -hmm. in your Word, and I'll follow it. Yeah, I can show you, too. (laughs) (laughs) So We can have fun with that one. (laughs) Right. And I started off by reading the little chick tracks, those little comic book tracks. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen one of those. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, I still pass out certain ones. I have to be careful because they, a lot of them have bad doctrine in them, but many right. of them are still good. So uh, I started reading those and looking up the verses that they quoted, and that's how I started my Bible study. And they've got larger comics a whole series of them, but one is called Sabotage, and it's about the attack upon God's Word. Okay. And this is how I got into doing any type of research. In that book, Sabotage, there's one little 
caption that shows the Apostle John, and it says that John sealed the canon of the Scripture, basically. Mm. That God used John. Okay. And it, it and it gave a quote from which Bible by David Otis uh, Fuller. So I went and bought a copy of which Bible and went to the page that they talked about it. And he quotes Eusebius. Mm. I didn't know who Eusebius was. He was a, he was a Catholic, or actually a pre-Catholic. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he was he he was an Arian sympathizer, but uh, he was a historian of the church. He wrote down church history. But anyway, I went out and bought a copy of Ecclesiastical History by Eusebius to look up this quote. And when I looked it up, I find that he's quoting a fellow named Irenaeus. Well, I didn't know who Irenaeus was. <laughs> and the quote uh, wasn't very clear as to what it was referring to. They were saying it was referring to John sealing the canon. Mm-hmm. But when the quote is read, it says it. Well, it can refer to anything. So mm-hmm. I needed to find the actual quote. But So it said it was sealed by John? And so is that what it was the, delivered by John? Delivered by John. And, okay, the gospel, right? right? I mean, so people I would didn't assume. know what it was. I wanted yeah. to get firm proof of what it referred to. Okay. However, um, I was just getting out of the Marine Corps and going to Bible college at that time, so my research kind of stopped until I got out of Bible college, and I finally was able to purchase a set of. Of the, of the early church fathers. And then I found the quote in Irenaeus. Turns out <laughs> it was not referring to the sealing of the canon, and this troubled me greatly. Mm, I see. Because as I read that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, hey, that's true. John did seal the canon of the Scripture. Okay. And so... I said, well, if that's true, it's got to be recorded somewhere, and that's what led to my research. Okay. That led to this book. Is but, I started uh, reading yeah. the early church fathers to find it. Okay, but before you tell us how you found that, uh, you said something to, uh, that was uh, dramatically ironic. You said you went to Bible college, and no longer did Bible research. Well, I couldn't go. do the research I wanted because I was so busy reading oh, the okay. books for my classes. Mm-hmm. So it interrupted my personal research. Okay. And then how did you feel about the research they were asking you to do? Was it was that inspiring or no? Well, I learned many good things, but in all truth, when I went to Bible college, I was... I, I was raised in a Baptist church. I knew what the Baptists taught. All right. So I wasn't really going there with a mind to learn anything because I already knew it. I went there to get the piece of paper to hang oh, on my okay. wall that said I, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Yeah. And okay. So yeah. God had to do a lot of work on me and to show yeah. me that not everything that the Baptists teach is necessarily correct. Right. Um, They they teach dispensationalism, which didn't come around until the 1800s. Up until that time, uh, the churches taught what we would call now covenant theology. Hmm. They didn't teach dispensationalism as known in the Schofield Study Bible. Right, right. But if you go to a Baptist Bible 
college today, I was taught that dispensationalism was taught from the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a lie. Which is not correct. Yeah, that's a lie. So you found out that Baptist ministers will actually tell lies? How surprised were you at that? Uh, Well, I was really, you know, the first thing that God taught me in Bible college was that God's law still applies today. And right. uh, I, I, I found out by accident, didn't mean to, uh, the pastor was preaching a sermon and he was saying, God's word is called many things. It's called his word. It's called scriptures. It's called commandments and statutes and judgments and testimonies and all the, he says, I challenge you, look up what each and every one of these means and you will get a greater appreciation for God's word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I yeah. didn't know he was joking because I, I went ah. ahead and looked them, looked ah. them all up. And I, I, right. I came to find out where it talks about in Ephesians and Colossians about God's law being nailed to the cross. It says God's law contained in ordinances. Right. That's yeah, the blood sacrifices. Only the blood sacrifices were nailed to the cross. He didn't nail the Ten Commandments to the cross. That's correct. He didn't nail the statutes. The statutes are actually explanations of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, uh, and how to apply them, right? Right, yep. right. Mm-hmm. So uh, those weren't nailed to the cross. The Ten Commandments are... And God's law teaches us what sin is. That's what it always has done. It yeah. teaches us that we're sinners. It says, thou shalt not you know, bear false witness. And when we're young, we've usually told yeah. lies and bore false witness. And it, right. it declares us to be sinners. And therefore, yeah. it points us to the Savior. Yeah, and there's some of us who bear false witness into our old age, too. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. So there's no yeah. shortage of that either. Right, so did you challenge... The, the pastor on that count? Well, I did, I did, did. And he used to make fun of me from the pulpit. The, really? The, the church. Oh, that was very Christian of him. Yeah, the church usually had about 3,000 people attending each Sunday, and he wow. would make fun of me, and he would say, and you Old Testament people, and, and he'd say, Jeff. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and then one Saturday, we had the men's prayer breakfast, and... I asked him about it, and and uh, he said, Jeff, I, I can't argue with what you say, but he picked up his uh, piece of bacon. He says, but I love my bacon. And he took a bite. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, no so, problem with pork there. Right. Okay. So, on, okay, so on page five, and we're kind of getting to the gist of, uh, or a couple of examples of what you say here on page five. Theologians have invented several different theories of inspiration because they have rejected dictation. Men have given us dynamic inspiration, organic inspiration, verbal plenary inspiration. You already brought up dispensationalism. Uh, Is any of that stuff inspired by Yahweh God? All these theories? No, these, these theories were designed so that they don't have to accept dictation. Mm-hmm. You've you, you got to understand, men think that, modern theologians think that man and God played a part almost equally in 
giving us God's word. Wow. And that's not true because in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, and Lord's all capitals there, so that's Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Forever, O Yahweh, thy word is settled in heaven. In other words, God's word has always existed in heaven. Mm-hmm. So what we have here on earth is a copy that he gave to us. So it had to be dictated. He, it wasn't invented on the fly as he was giving it to the Apostle John or to Luke or whoever. Mm-hmm. He was giving what was already recorded in heaven. Yeah, and we should appreciate it. In fact, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, British church uh, uh I think they preceded the King James, where they state that if there's a um, a dispute among Christians or theologians, whatever, about the meaning of Scripture, then we should take the dispute to the original languages, either the Hebrew or the Greek, because uh, that's that's where the truth lies, and we have to understand. That's why we do have to understand, at least to some extent, the meanings of those words to find out how they've been translated, whether well or not well, your, your comment. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's very important. Uh, uh, an example I always use of that is in the book of Acts. Uh, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 19. I'm turning there now. Okay. I'll and open up my e-sword, too. Is it 3, 19... And I'll I'll use another quote while you're looking. Uh, Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Yahweh. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And uh, despite everything, they have been preserved. (laughs) Despite everything. Over to you. Yes, um... Oh, I, I got the wrong verse. Okay. So, uh, I'm looking for the one where Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Okay. Oh, actually, uh, that might be Yahshua saying that. Repent and be oh. baptized. So let's see where, where we get to what verse comes up for that. Oh, zero verses found. <laughs> Repent, but repentance, yes, uh, several times. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, I believe, uh, Yahshua says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Oh, here it is. Here it yeah. is. I, I okay. found it. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, many churches, uh, especially high churches, practice baptismal regeneration. They believe that you're born again, or your sins are washed away, or you receive the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. Mm -hmm. And that's because of this This verse verse. and other verses like it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now, they take that word for to mean to get. Mm-hmm. And that's how we use it in modern language. I will give mm-hmm. you a dollar for that soda pop. Right. 
we use it to mean in exchange for. Mm-hmm. But in 1611, when the King James was translated, they spoke a different English. Just imagine a little girl running into her mother and saying, Mother, chastise Johnny for <laughs> destruction. Yeah. What does for mean there? Yeah. It means because of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it didn't, didn't always mean in exchange for as we use it today. Right. And actually it comes from the, the Greek word ice, which is Strong's 1519. And, it, and it, it's a preposition of position. It can be translated many different ways, toward, through, against, upon, resting mm-hmm. upon. Right. It can be translated all these ways, and the best way, and it's often translated, upon. And mm-hmm. if you read that in verse 38, right. And Peter said unto them, Repent me, baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, resting upon the remission of sins. Now, that's more accurate because mm-hmm. we get baptized. Not to get our sins washed away, but because they're washed away. Okay. And later, later in Acts, it talks about men who believe and have already received the Holy Ghost, and then they're baptized afterwards. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, there's also the uh, item of repentance, and there's a lot of people who get baptized and don't really repent. <laughs> so, what uh, you know, what is their status? Having well, been unrepentant, that that kind of defeats the purpose of baptism because baptism is showing that God's washed away your sins, and if right. you're not of your sins, why wash them away? They, well, they don't get washed away, right? Right? Okay, <laughs> that's I, I, right. Okay, I'm looking at uh, this is Strong's Concordance uh, as uh, given in Esord, and this is the word for, as you were just discussing, ice. A primary preposition to or into, indicating the point reached or entered. So, baptizing into the remission of sin. So it's not as you say. This doesn't uh, doesn't indicate an exchange. Right. Okay. And and you also have to keep in mind that while Strong's is a wonderful tool, it's a dictionary. Mm-hmm. And it gives very short and brief definitions. And Dr. Strong's was a, was a Methodist, so his definitions are going to favor Methodist theology. Mm-hmm. And so when I give definitions in my book, I have looked up the Hebrew or Greek words in at least seven different sources, so I have a good, balanced view. And even though I use the Strong's numbers, it doesn't always. I don't always use the definition exactly from Strong's because right. sometimes he leaves a little bit to be desired. For example, yeah. a, a good mistake in Strong's. If you look up a Gentile, it's the Greek word ethnos, where we get the English word ethnic from, mm-hmm. and he says that it means a non-Jew, amongst other definitions in there. Yet. At least twice in the book of Acts, this word ethnos is translated nation and used in the phrase nation of the Jews. It could Mm -hmm. be translated Gentile of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So how can it be non-Jew when it's used of the Jews? Right, exactly. (laughs) So that's just an example of a small error that's in the Strong's that is corrected when you study out the word. 
Right. Yeah. Well, it has to make sense. And I've always taken the position that Yahweh's word does not contradict itself. Amen. So, that is yeah. true. Okay. So that if a perceived uh, contradiction is in the KJV or any other translation, then that, that requires research. That requires digging into the, pro- the problem is with us. It's not with God's word. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. The theologians, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Now, right. chapter two. Uh, it's entitled "False Views of How We Got the Canon." So, uh, take us through that because, uh, you know, uh, as we said at the very beginning of the show, it's always assumed that uh, the canon was set at the Council of Nicaea or thereabouts. Over to you. Right. The the arguments either go to the Council of Nicaea, A.D. 325, the Council of Hippo, 393, or the Council of Carthage, which was in 397 A.D. Now, the problem with this is when you read the records of these councils, there's, there's no record of them sealing the, count, uh, the canon. Okay. Now they now they did record the scriptures that the Christians used, but they didn't seal it. They didn't say we've decided that this is what they recorded. This is what has been recognized long before us, mm-hmm. and it wasn't definitely mm. wasn't done at Nicaea. Okay. Or now and, by sealed you mean uh, it was there was no declaration that this is. Uh, you know, because we have the Nicene Creed, but that's just a creed. It's not a declaration uh, that every book that we have selected here is the canon now, which everybody must follow. So you're saying right. they never issued such a declaration? No, no, they did not. Matter of fact, the, the creeds are statements of faith. Sure. In the in the beginning, the the Bible was handwritten, so very few people had a complete copy of even the New Testament. Usually those were located at the church, and people went to the church to read. Mm-hmm. And the church was usually at someone's house. They were house churches. Okay. And so they, like if it. you wanted, you would copy down portions of God's Word, but most people you know, couldn't afford that. And so what they did is they, they made statements of faith. The, the, Apostle, mm-hmm. the Apostles' Creed the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, those are the first three creeds of Christendom. And that's how you can tell a true Christian from, say, a cult, Mm -hmm. is whether or not they abide by the teachings handed down in the first three creeds of Christendom. Mm -hmm. Because God's truths have never changed. In other words, once the Bible was sealed, finished, the last book of the Bible was written, the book of Revelation, all the previous errors that were held, because some of the apostles were influenced by Judaism early on, but all those had been corrected by the time the Bible was sealed. Okay. And so the faith that was handed on, we call... The faith means the, the total body of doctrines taught in the Bible. That is the faith, the Christian faith. That was not developed over time as many modern theologians try to claim. It was 
it was there at the time the Bible was sealed, and mm-hmm. it was handed on to the early churches who passed it down to the next generation, who passed it down to the next generation. Okay. And when the Council of Nicaea was called, there was a heresy going around called Arianism, and it's not like the Nazi Arian. Right. It's spelled with an I, not a Y. Right. But the Arians at that time believed like our modern Jehovah's Witnesses do. They believed that Jesus was the first creature that God created, and so he was not equal to the Father. He was kind of a lesser God. Okay. And or even... Oh, even questioning whether he is a god, right? Isn't it wasn't Arianism? Right. Questioning the full deity of Christ is okay. how we say that today. Okay. They denied the full deity. They denied the Trinity. And these Arians uh, were just popping up everywhere, and it, it, they were causing problems in the church, in the various churches. So Constantine, being emperor, wanted a unified empire, and he wanted a unified church. So okay. He had them call a council, and what they did at the council is they went to each bishop of the churches and asked, what has your church always taught about this doctrine? And then they went to the next one. What has your church Mm -hmm. always taught? Went to the next one. What has your church always taught? And they found out that the churches had always taught what we now call Orthodox Christianity, that Jesus is God. Yeah, that's right. Divine. (laughs) Right, no doubt. He always was. Mm -hmm. And and so Arianism, in theory, was defeated, at least by the council. But uh, the Arians didn't like that, and they kept going at it, and they Mm -hmm. took over the church for a while, and they were the first ones to institute putting people to death for not agreeing with your faith. Oh, wow. Okay, I thought that came much later. No, no, the Arians were putting Orthodox Christians to death because they believed that Jesus was God and they confessed the Trinity. Now, was this after the Roman persecution, during it? When Uh, when did this happen? Well, this was after the Roman persecution because Constantine made Christianity legal. Oh, right, 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 okay. He, he, He issued a decree, and so it was just as legal as paganism was right. at that time. Okay, so here we have, you have you quote uh, Constantine on page 11, for the Gospels, uh, the apostolical writings, and the oracles of the ancient prophets clearly teach us what we taught to believe concerning the divine nature. Let then all contentious disputation be discarded, and let us seek in the divinely inspired word the solution to the question at issue. This was a decree, and you say that uh, as a result of this decree, they determined that the divinity of uh, Yahshua Messiah was not to be questioned. Right. They they determined that it had always been taught that Jesus is God, Mm -hmm. and that to deny that... Right. Is heresy. Okay. Now, uh, so this was the Council of Nicaea that was called to, uh, you know, discuss this problem of Arianism. Is right. that okay? So did they do anything else at this council, or was just this the, the main aspect of the council? Did they make any other decrees beyond this? Um, basically, they formed the Nicene Creed, 
based upon their discussions. Okay. And and what's interesting is, let's see, let me get it here. Baker Bookhouse published an edition of Ecclesiastical History by Eusebius, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, mine is a 1991 edition. And what's really neat in the back of it is there's a record of the Council of Nicaea, hmm. where it it gives you the history of what took place and who said what. And nowhere in it is there a discussion about the canon of the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, they use the Scriptures to determine, you know, we believe this because the Bible says this, but nowhere in it, for example, if... Uh, Payne wrote that they voted on what books belonged in the Bible. And that <laughs> is what many people believe. Matter of fact, uh, it's the theory that's sold by the New Age movement today. Oh, really? As well as much <laughs> of modern, modern Bible critics also sell that same story. Mm-hmm. They want us to believe that at the Council of Nicaea, they voted on what books belonged in the Bible. And there's no record of that anywhere. They've invented this out mm. of the air. Right. It did not happen. Okay. Yeah, well, that's what I was taught. <laughs> you yeah, know, that the, 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 the canon was sealed. The, Go ahead. Right. All the establishment churches are invested in this lie because their authority comes from Rome. Right. Okay. Because yeah. the Roman Catholic Church was the only church for many years in theory, mm-hmm. and many of the Protestant churches, most of the Protestant churches, came out of Rome. So they have to justify Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it was not declared at the Council of Nicaea, which most people falsely believe. Uh, next, you discuss on page 16, the next major error as to how we got the canon of the scripture is stated in this way, that it was gradually formed. Right. So how now was that? That's okay. the view that most Baptists hold today. Okay. Is that over time, uh, Christians recognized it and that's why we accept it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that's okay. closer to the truth, <laughs> but it's not completely <laughs> accurate. Right. Yeah, over how much time, though, is... Uh, okay, oh, it says here, in the course of the first four centuries, it says here. Right. And uh, under the guidance of the same spirit through whose suggestion the several apostolic books had been prepared. That is quite a bold assertion, that whoever these guys who uh, made the decision of which books, that it says they're claiming that they were guided by the same spirit. Right. Right. Uh, what's now, it? Now what's there, there's an element. There is yeah. an element of truth there. Okay. Because when when you and I read God's word, doesn't the Holy Spirit say Amen? Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit bears witness that what we're reading is God's word. So there's an element of truth there. But that's not how the canon was sealed. Mm-hmm. That's just the Holy Spirit bearing witness to each Christian that His Word is true. Yeah, and then uh, and then we uh, and, oh, we're also told you know to test ourselves and test the authority, 
and right. uh, you know, prove to ourselves what, what's going on here, uh, which most Christians don't do, right? Very few Christians <laughs> actually do that, right? So, um, so, and uh, and and you reassert here that the uh, the word of God is sealed. So, to uh, when, in your opinion, was the canon actually sealed? The canon was sealed by the Apostle John, the last living apostle, after he wrote the book of Revelation. Okay. He, the early Christians, were bringing writings to him and saying, is this the word of God or is this just a letter? Because we need to understand that the Apostle Paul wrote a lot more letters than what we find in the New Testament. Actually, in 1 Corinthians, Paul told them that he had written to them before. Mm-hmm. to the church at Corinth. So really what we have in 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. <laughs> right, or 3rd or 4th. And, and our 2nd Corinthians <laughs> right. is actually 3rd Corinthians. Yeah, right. Okay. So so there's a missing letter of Paul. And in many of the Bibles during the Middle Ages, they have the book of, of written by Paul to the church of Laodicea. And Paul mentions it, I think it's in Colossians, where he tells them to read what he wrote to the Laodiceans. Mm -hmm. So Paul wrote a lot of letters, and I'm not saying they're not good letters, but they were just not inspired. They're they're not part of the Scripture. Okay. Okay. So now how did we determine which ones were and which ones were not? Well, we didn't. God Mm -hmm. showed John... And he bear witness to the word of God. If you turn okay. to Revelation chapter 1. And verses 1 and 2. says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus, and of all things that he saw. Okay. In verse 2, where it says, I'm going to go at it backwards, all things that he saw refers to the book of Revelation. John bear record of all right. things that he saw. Okay. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ, that is referring to the gospel of John. John bear okay. record of the testimony of Jesus Christ. But the first part of verse 2 says, who bear record of the word of God. That mm-hmm. is referring to him sealing the scripture, bearing okay. record that this is, this is a book that belongs in the Bible. This one does not. This one belongs in the Bible. That one does not. He okay. bear record of the word of God. Okay, so this, yeah, go ahead. this is fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Okay. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 8. Verse okay. Let me see if I can get there before you do. <laughs> Verse 16. Okay, here, I've got it. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. I like That's it. That's right. So it had to be sealed by one of the disciples. Well, uh-huh. uh, and, 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 among my disciples. When John wrote yeah. Revelation, he was the last living apostle. There was no other disciple of the original disciples okay. living. Even Paul was dead. Yes. So 
He yeah. was the only one that could have done the sealing of the scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you said that while he, uh, this is obviously on the Isle of Patmos, which he resided on until about 90 AD, is that correct? Pretty close, yes. Very close. And so, I mean, is there an exact date? I mean, has this been pinpointed? Because Well, it's uh, been pinpointed because uh, at, uh, he was released r- right after Trajan died, the Emperor Trajan. Oh, died. Okay. Then he was released. So he went back to before then his home base was the city of Ephesus. Uh-huh. And after he was released, he went back to Ephesus. Okay. And there it's recorded that Christians were that he set in order the churches and that he showed them the scriptures. Okay. What, so, All right. Yeah. Now that's interesting. So while he was on the Isle of Patmos, he was compiling and uh, divvying up, for lack of a better expression, the the books that should be included in the sealing in the canon and those who that which shouldn't. Is there well, any it, record of that that he actually did that? Well, that's just it. Uh, no, on Patmos is where he wrote the letters to the seven churches of Asia. I see. Which, by the way, were uh, Israelite churches. Of course. Okay. Yes. And. Yes. Okay. And also, he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, he didn't seal the canon until he got back to Ephesus. Okay. Okay. Now, was he approached by Christians? They, we call them Christian Israelites at this point to make this decision, or is this something uh, you feel he was just inspired to do? Well, it's recorded that he did that. Um, okay. Let me see if I can find the quote here in my All book. Right. Okay. So, uh, okay, well, in chapter 4, you uh, talk about how God preserved the Old Testament, and that was pretty much uh, established, although, you know, what we have today is the um, Masoretic text, uh, which, of course, the Septuagint has a few extra books. What's your opinion on that while you're looking for that that, text? documentation right uh well the masoretic text was not established till about a hundred years a.d okay so that was that okay before that time there was a hebrew text that did not read exactly like the masoretic text okay and that's why when the old testament is quoted in the new testament you'll read it two different ways. Yeah. And and whenever there is a disagreement between what is quoted in the New Testament and what you find in the Old Testament, it's because the scribes, the Jewish scribes, their hatred for Christianity was so great that they tampered with the manuscripts. That's right. That's right. But usually that quote 
will be found in the Septuagint exactly as it is in the New Testament. And this has led many to believe that Jesus and the apostles quoted from the Septuagint, which is not accurate. They actually were quoting from the Hebrew text Mm -hmm. that agreed with the Septuagint at the time. Okay, understood. Understood. And we also have to keep in mind that Origen, who is called a church father, he was actually quite a heretic, but he um, worked with the Septuagint, and he complained that the Septuagint that was in his day was not the original Septuagint, that it also had been monkeyed with. Mm-hmm. Already that early. <laughs> okay. Yes, already, and by the same group of, of Jewish scribes, because that's what the Christians were using, was the Greek Septuagint, because most of them, uh, once it ceased to be in Jerusalem, Christianity spread to non-Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, non-Judites, right, yeah, non-Israelites. Right. Okay, and so he, most most ahead. of them had lost Hebrew long, a long time ago, but they still spoke Greek. So mm-hmm. the original Septuagint, I would suspect, was was in agreement with the original Hebrew. Yes. Now, yeah. now fortunately for us, many of the verses in question the only ones they really monkeyed with, that the scribes monkeyed with, were ones dealing with prophecies of Christ. Okay. So whenever there's a difference between what you read in your New Testament versus what you read in the Old Testament, we know what happened. Mm-hmm. is that the scribes were trying to discredit Christianity, so they changed the reading of God's Word. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Those of in, of us in identity, uh, you know, pretty much all of us believe that that the uh, they did uh, tamper with the word, and uh, the other scholars have pointed out that they tampered with the word in order to uh, either eliminate prophecies of the Messiah, such as the uh, tampering with the word virgin, right? In uh, Alma, I believe it is in the Hebrew. And right. so, so the G, the Jews say, well, she was just a young girl, not a virgin. But you have to understand, in those days, uh, young girls weren't allowed out of the house. <laughs> they didn't go out on dates, right? <laughs> they were cloistered at home until they were betrothed. So, the, there are very, very few women who weren't virgins when they got married <laughs> in those days, right? Right. So well. I would think most of them were, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, well, unless they became... Well, certainly the, the Israelites who were true to uh, the Scriptures, right? So, uh, and right. Mary was of the house of Judah, right? They had the law until the very end, until the crucifixion or right. at Calvary. So, uh, and you know, the way it describes uh, her life... And uh, you know, the marriage to Joseph, he was so upset when he heard the rumor that she had already become pregnant, right? He said, oh, yes, no. That would, that would trouble any groom. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe not so much today, but certainly in those days, right? Yes. So yes. The, the testimony of Joseph himself suggests that, wait a minute, you know, women, you know, these girls in, of Judah, were cloistered and they were not allowed to go on dates where something like that could possibly happen, 
Okay. Exactly. And also yeah. in the marriage, the, the groom had to pay a dowry. Well, actually, the dowry could have gone either way. Okay. But if you had a beautiful daughter and she was a virgin, you could charge a high dowry for her. Mm-hmm. Now, if she was an ugly girl with a mean spirit, you had to Ooh. pay the guy to take her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the okay. dowry could have gone either way. If you had a, a mean-spirited daughter, you'd have to pay someone to take her. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, but, uh, but the Old ahead. Testament does mention the dowry of virgins. Hmm. And so yes. if she was a virgin, you had to pay a dowry for her. Mm-hmm. So naturally, Joseph would have been troubled, and gee, I paid for a virgin, and here she is pregnant. This this is troubling to me. Yeah, this is very troubling, right, in those days. Okay, so, uh, okay, in describing the life of John, you talk about, you know, he was the brother of James, and... Mm -hmm. uh, now, to, to what extent are they filially related to um, Jesus in the sense that they were both sons of Mary or cousins? Or what's your opinion there? They were they were cousins to Jesus. Cousins. Okay. Yes. Cousins. Okay. Right. Okay. And and by what relationship uh, was it uh, through Elizabeth? Um. Or? Off the top of my head, I can't say, but I, okay. I, I remember I went through a series in church. We preached on each of the apostles, and James and John are cousins to Jesus. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, uh, uh, the, I'm thinking the best book on that, um, Drama of the Lost Disciples. Oh, okay. Excellent book. Yeah. Uh, written by, I think his name was Jolette or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was a... Uh, like a Mr. America here. In, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and he he did excellent research. I've only found a few minor errors in his book. Okay. But there's also one by Morgan, St. Paul in Britain. Um, uh, there's several different books uh, that mm-hmm. record what the apostles did after the book of Acts, because mm-hmm. most Christians, at least when I grew up in my Baptist church, you know, the we had no idea what the apostles did. Well, the early church fathers recorded what they did. Mm-hmm. And many of the apostles ended up preaching in Britain. And they formed what we would call now Celtic Christianity, or Chaldee Christianity. And it followed. It, the base for the missionaries came from Ephesus, of all places, the same okay. place where the Apostle John was. Right. Okay. And later on, when the Church of Rome entered Great Britain with, uh, we call him Austin, so but he could be called Augustine, not to be confused with Augustine from Africa, but he wrote back to the Pope. He says, Christianity's already here with these <laughs> right. preachers. And yeah. uh, Rome ended up having the Celtic Christians, the early Christians that followed what we would call Asian Christianity that they got from Ephesus. They had them killed. Yeah. Yeah. And so that aspect of our Christian history is almost wiped out from the record. Right. But you can read it in Drama of the Lost Disciples and St. Paul in Britain and these 
yeah. other books that were uh, early British Christianity, what we would call Celtic Christianity, mm-hmm. which was in France and Great Britain and Ireland, mm-hmm. long before Rome and her missionaries ever arrived. Yeah, but that uh, that so-called Celtic Christianity was brought there by Paul and other apostles, correct? And, right. Uh, and, right. Uh, and they right. and they taught what we called the identity message that okay. that we're Israel. The brother and the they were all brethren, in that sense of the uh, right. the the, the uh, Adelphos means meaning from the same womb, which would be uh, going back to uh, Sarah, uh, Rebecca, and Jacob's four wives. Uh, those would be the the same womb, from which we come. Okay, it's it's very interesting uh, that you said earlier that the Arians were the first quote unquote Christians <laughs> or, or cult or sect that would pe- put people to death for their Christian beliefs. Right. Right. Well, true Christianity believes in converting people. It's hard right. to convert someone when they're dead. <laughs> right. Okay, but here on page thirty-seven. You state another Levite, Phineas, used violence. Okay, this is uh, Old Testament. Yeah. Right. Old Testament uh, used violence to enforce God's law. Okay. Uh, we wouldn't want to do that to enforce the gospel today. So, uh, what's the difference here? Because obviously, in the case of Phineas, the Israelite man was openly violating God's law in front of everybody. Right. right. Well, so no trial the, the was difference needed. here is there, first, Israel was a theocracy at the time, mm-hmm. ruled by God's law. Mm-hmm. In America, unfortunately, we're not a theocracy, so we can't enforce God's law, yes. even if we would like to. Right. But in the time, at that time in Israel, it was a theocracy. And, and this man committed a sin that was declared to be a death penalty mm. for doing it. Mm-hmm. And Phineas went, when no one else was willing to enforce God's law, Phineas stepped up and he did his duty. He was a mm-hmm. priest, and his duty was to put this man to death, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we need to understand, a lot of people don't understand in God's laws, most of God's laws, if I sin, it's between me and the person, say, I stole something. It's between me, the person I stole from, and God. It doesn't affect the rest of uh, my community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Un- unless you're counterfeiting are... money. <laughs> yeah. It affects a lot of other people. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, but but there's some sins that are so heinous to God uh-huh. that he punishes groups of people for allowing it. Right. Just... Okay. And you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Not everyone in there was practicing oh. homosexuality, but yeah. because the whole cities allowed it, God punished the whole cities. Okay. okay, yeah. Well, that's a pretty blanket condemnation of the modern church world as well, right? Because they're standing around <laughs> watching all this evil happen and not doing anything about it, not even complaining about it. Right, mm-hmm. and... Now, see, now, but this is for sins, you know, they put people to death for sins that would endanger the community. 
mm-hmm. because if the community allowed it, then God was going to judge the whole community. Okay. So they were trying to protect themselves by obeying God's word there. Right. However, mm-hmm. later on, the, the Arians, then uh, after the Arians, the Roman Catholic Church picked it up, and then many of the Protestant churches also picked it up, the idea where you put people to death because they hold different views of Christianity. Yeah, that's another story altogether, <laughs> right? right? Interpretations. And, and, but that's, I yeah. don't believe that's God's way. No. There are only no. certain things in I the agree. Bible that death is prescribed for. For example, right. witchcraft. Yeah, amen, uh, amen. You know, the yeah, yeah. cultic practices. If, and you also have to remember in the Old Testament, they didn't just go up and kill them. They gave him a chance to repent first, right? Yeah, because they had there a trial was law, in most but cases. There was also mercy. Mm-hmm. Remember, yeah. King David committed murder as well as adultery. Both of those were death penalty right. sins. Yeah, yeah. But was he put to death? No, no. He no, received he mercy because he repented. That's mm-hmm. what Psalm fifty-one is all about. Right. Yeah, and in the uh, Testament of the twelve patriarchs. Judah repented of his marriage to the Canaanite woman. That See? is yes. Okay. So we need to remember in the Old Testament, a lot of people like to to view it as only law, but that's not true. There was law, and there was mercy, there was grace. And matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they were saved the same way we were by faith. Mm-hmm. We have faith that two thousand years ago Jesus came lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood, and then resurrected on the third day. So we have faith in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Old Testament, they didn't know exactly how God was going to do it, but they knew that God promised a Messiah, mm-hmm. an anointed one, to come and take away the sins of, of his people. Yeah. And they had faith in the future. Right. So... So they were saved by faith, trusting that God would do this, just as we are saved by faith, trusting that God did do this. Right, so, yeah. And that's yeah. what the book of Hebrews, the, the faith chapter, is all about. They had faith. Well, actually, you're, uh, you quote Numbers 25, uh, verses 6 through 13. Uh, this, uh, this talks about Phineas thrusting the man of Israel and the woman of uh I forget what she she was an Ammonite or a Midianite through with a javelin, right and here and right afterwards it shows Yahweh's mercy, and uh, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. That's right. Because they, as a community, punished the sin. Yes. Now the whole point of this chapter was to show that the Levites were a very um, hard tribe that was a characteristics of their temperament mm-hmm. is that they were hard they were willing to do hard things that killers other they were people, killers <laughs> they killed yeah, the animals other people right were just too squeamish to do it <laughs> and right. think about it okay if, you know, to, right or someone to kill all those animals for the animal sacrifices and an animal as innocent and harmless as a lamb right that, that takes a tough person to do that. Most people would not have the heart to do right. that. Well, so that's God why there's... Yeah, we, today, the Levites. Yeah, today we have people called butchers, right? They butcher <laughs> the animals, and we eat the animals, right? Somebody yeah, has to do it, right? It's a, 
it's a good chance that many of them are Levites. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, getting back to the Gospel of John and uh, the uh, actually, actually the Book of Revelation. So you're saying that John the Apostle uh, did he hold court at Ephesus after leaving Patmos? And uh, th- that uh, he would receive documents from people that purported to be gospel or truth, true history, and uh, so he was the one. He was the one who actually collated and determined what we now call the canon. Uh, he didn't hold council. He regulated the churches. Is the, the phrase? And I'm still looking for this. Okay. Quote. So while you're looking, uh, so he established those uh, cities, Ephesus, Thyatira, Laodicea. Did he establish those, or did Paul have something, and he just became their leader, their their uh, bishop, as it were, later right. on? Well, what happened is, is Paul went through as an apostle, and he started most of those churches. But the apostle Paul, by the time that John wrote Revelation, had already been put to death so they were looking to Ephesus because John was the last living apostle right okay so he was let uh, released from Patmos went back to Ephesus which was his home territory anyway all right uh, is that where he was arrested and taken to Patmos and then returned later yes that yeah is okay so that was his home base as it were and so, As a matter people, of fact, uh, before they uh, sent him to Patmos, uh, they boiled him in oil. Oh, the, the apostle John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil, and when they thought he was dead, they fished him out, and he was still breathing. Oh, and under Roman law, you can only execute someone one time, so they couldn't <laughs> kill him. That's why they sent him to Patmos. I kill you twice, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, they, they figure if you survive an ex, a Roman execution, then that means God wants you alive, and they weren't going to argue with God. <laughs> right. Very good. So some, some forms of paganism <laughs> are good, okay, if the outcome is right for us in any case. All right. Well, so. the same thing happened to Paul. Remember when he was on that island and a snake came out of the sticks and bit him? Mm-hmm. And at first, the, the people watching thought, oh, that's God's judgment on him. But when he didn't die, they decided just the opposite. Oh, this man must be of God. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, now on, on page 42, you relate the, epi- uh, the episode of Titus. God used the Roman general Titus, who later became emperor in 79 AD, and this was during the life of the Apostle John, to force the residents of Jerusalem, including Christians, to flee when he sacked the city in A.D. 70. Uh, I, I guess you're using the word forced here in a more general sense, because uh, as I understand it, there was a uh, Titus uh, left left the siege he, he, because uh, there was going to be a new emperor. And uh, I forget, was it uh, Tiberius? who was the emperor at this point. I think it was Tiberius. But Tiberius had died. So Titus went back to Rome to find out if the new emperor would want the siege to continue. And uh, the Judahites, who saw the uh, uh, the opening, took advantage of it. 
Right. Okay. The, it, it was a long siege, but uh, eventually he ended up sacking Jerusalem. And but most of the Christians had fled earlier. Okay. Because they, Even they knew the Roman soldiers were coming, and they weren't necessarily. Most Christians weren't part of the Jewish rebellion. Right. Right. Yeah, and they certainly weren't Edomites, so they saw. They saw the chance to leave, and they took it, <laughs> which is kind of right. like what we have to do at the Judgment Day as well. We see our chance and take it. All right. Okay. So, and then you say here, while John was preaching at Ephesus, some Jews went to Rome and brought the teachings. Now, here by Jews, I assume you mean Judeans or Judaites, uh, who uh, ultimately would become Christians and brought the teachings of the Christians to the attention of Emperor Domitian. Now, are these Jews in the sense of the Edomite Jews? Uh, who were, well, were... it's hard. It's, I would su- suspect they were because they were trying to get the Christians killed. Mm-hmm. So they were right. complaining to the emperor this was a about complaint. the Christians. Okay. Yes, it was a complaint. Okay. And so they were trying to get Christians killed because at first... They, uh, the Jews just, uh, the Pharisees tried to kill Christians outright. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, they, killed, they stoned Stephen, right? Right. And when that didn't work, the next step was they sent in infiltrators that brought false doctrine to the church. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got to keep the law to be saved. That's recorded in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 15, verse mm-hmm. 1 or men from Judea came up and taught this to the church. Yeah. If you don't keep the law, you're not saved. Well, the law doesn't save us. Keeping the law, the law teaches us what sin is. Well, so uh, Paul, that, yeah, that's right. That's a false teaching. Yeah. Well, Paul says uh, the, the gripe that he had with the ancient Israelites was that they didn't have any faith. They were keeping the law, but they, they didn't believe the uh, the other stuff <laughs> that, that goes with being a, well, let's call it a Christian, you know, a, a true Christian, and brotherly love, right? And uh, you know, you know, be, being kind to your neighbor, turning your other cheek, and all that kind of stuff. They were actually... All the results of faith. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. And so you, so you could keep the law. And be a very hard and difficult person to deal with, right? Yeah. Right? Okay. So they didn't I, show I mean, kindness and mercy to each other. And they were lending money to each other also and uh, at interest and holding other Israelites in bondage that way. So there was a lot of law-keeping, of false law-keeping as well. Yes. Well, there's, there's always been two sides to Christianity. And the one side is correct doctrine. We're, mm-hmm. The whole goal of having a church is to take the faith that was handed down from the apostles and pass it on unchanged to the next generation. So this is handing on correct doctrine. But the other side of the church is that we're to love. Even though someone's a sinner, we're to love them. God loved them enough to die for them on the cross. So we should extend love to them and try to win them to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if you have doctrine without love, your church becomes very cold. Oh, this is for sure. 
And if you have love without doctrine, it's like these modern churches where yeah. anything goes. They oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or, and or you're a new ager. Every... Right. <laughs> you're a new ager. Right. <laughs> Let's hug so, the trees, right? <laughs> so as true Christians, we need both correct doctrine and we need God's love. We need mm-hmm. to have both to be balanced Christians. Right, right, okay. All right. For, now, so, earlier, earlier you asked about uh, the record of what John did at Ephesus, and I found that. Okay. It's uh, from Acts of the Holy Apostle and Evangelist John in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume 8, page 562. It says, Dominican sent him away to an island, talking about John, appointing for him a set time, and straightway John sailed to Patmos, okay. where also he was deemed worthy to see the revelation of the end. Right. Okay. And when Dominican was dead, Nerva succeeded to the kingdom and recalled all who had been banished. And having kept the kingdom for a year, he made Trajan his successor in the kingdom. And when he was king over the Romans, John went to Ephesus and regulated all the teaching of the church, holding many conferences and reminding them of what the Lord had said to them. Okay. Here we have a record of John regulating the teachings of the churches, holding conferences, and teaching them what the Lord had said. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So we know that John was taking charge of the churches as a whole. Yes, and he would have been the last living apostle, so he would have had tremendous authority over all of these cities. Right. And and many others, not just the seven cities he mentions in the book of Revelation, but I'm, I'm sure many others. Right. So, okay. All right, so then the early church fathers... You're saying then they understood that uh, that John had uh, finalized the canon while he was at Ephesus. Right, and that's pretty okay. much what Augustine had said. Okay, all that, right. That it came down from the apostles. It doesn't say it came from down from a council. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right. Matter of fact, here it is where it's his reply to Faustus. The Manichaean, okay. St. Augustine, in Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers, First Series, Volume 4, page 180, it says, There is a distinct boundary line separating all productions subsequent to apostolic times from the authoritative canonical books of the Old and New Testaments. The authority of these books has come down to us from the apostles, through the successions of bishops and the extension of the church and from a position of lofty supremacy claims the submission of every faithful and pious mind. Mm-hmm. So they came down from the apostles. Well, who was the last living right. apostle? Okay. <laughs> that was John. Right. Okay, so, so basically, yeah, what you're saying then is all claims to a post-Yohanin, a post-John canon, are false. And that the books that John assembled, the early church fathers recognized that he had assembled these and uh, nobody else has anything to say about it. <laughs> right? Is yeah, that... it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a question until... <laughs> 
heretics came along, and the two big heresies that came to the early church, first it was the Gnostics, which was an offshoot of Judaism, um, and they had several branches to them, but uh, a, a good thing, uh, not good, but mm-hmm. a teaching that was common among them was that Jesus did not have a physical body. He appeared, but he was really a spirit. Okay. And so, Who, who was and teaching this? The Gnostics. Oh, the Gnostics. Yeah, okay. Yes. And so the, they would attack verses that, that talked about Jesus having flesh, that he had a right. physical body. They would eliminate those verses out, out of the Bibles. So they started corrupting the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Well, when the Arians came along, they didn't believe that Jesus was God, so, right. and they didn't believe in the Trinity. So they started taking those verses out of the Bibles. Yes. And what's funny is when you read the books written by the modern Bible critics, they state it just the opposite. They say that there is no record of any heretic corrupting God's word. <laughs> Taking things out of it. But over and over again in the writings of the early church fathers, they record where Marcion cut this out. And he mm-hmm. used the knife instead of the pen. <laughs> right. You know? And and those quotes are in my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just over and over again. But when it talks about the Christians, it says the Christians were too afraid to tamper with God's word right. because of the curse in Revelation on him yeah. who adds to or takes away from God's yes. word. Yes, very good. Very good. But the modern Bible scholars claim that Christians... Oh, they have no fear. And <laughs> Fools rush in, it. right? Fools rush in. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I'm really impressed with the uh, quotations you have assembled here from the early church fathers. Okay, uh, Tertullian, uh, let me... Uh, uh, Irenaeus against heresies is a very brief quote. Uh Luke also, the companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him. Afterwards, John, the disciple of the Lord, did himself publish a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia. So here we have a testimony of Irenaeus uh, verifying that these books are already existed and that he essentially would accept them. Irenaeus would accept them. All right. right. So, and, and and this is important. The testimony of Irenaeus is important because he was the student of Polycarp. And Polycarp was the student of the Apostle John. Okay. So we have okay. a direct succession from John to Polycarp so to Irenaeus. Irenaeus. Very good. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so, um, and Polycarp, so Polycarp was the successor of John. Uh, do you well, want to tell? Well, he was the student of John. Student, okay. Yeah. Right, Yeah. Well, we'd have to assume that he believed what John taught him, right? Okay. That's right. So he certainly... Fact, that, go ahead. That is a very good point, is Polycarp, when he quotes First John, the Bibles we use today basically come from two types of Greek manuscripts. One's called the Texas Receptus, which means text received, mm-hmm. and it's the historic Christian text that uh, had been copied throughout the Byzantine Empire, and it was used by uh, the Reformers. 
when they were coming out of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and it produced all of our Bibles. Uh, William Tyndale used the Texas Receptus. Okay. And, you know, the Matthews Bible comes from it, the Great Bible, Bishop's Bible, all the way to the King James Bible, translated from the Texas Receptus. Okay. Now, modern Bibles are translated from what they call the critical text, which is basically a slight revision of the Westcott and Hort text that came out in 1881. Okay. And it is based on what are called the Alexandrian manuscripts, Codex Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus, and Codex Alexandrius. These are the Mm -hmm. three main Alexandrian manuscripts. Okay. So Westcott and Hort. Okay, uh, continue. Please continue. Well, what happened was with these Alexandrian manuscripts, these are the Bibles that had been corrupted by the earlier heretics, both okay. the Gnostics and the Arians. And I they're see. the one the Bibles with words and phrases and even verses cut out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example uh, is in sec, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, where it says God was manifest in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, in the modern Bibles that translate from the Alexandrian manuscripts, it says He was manifest in the flesh. Oh. <laughs> now, a personal pronoun okay. He. You see, yeah. I I can take the King James Bible and at First Timothy three sixteen I can prove the deity of Christ. But mm-hmm. can you do that from a New International Version? Yeah, that who's, verse? Yeah. No, you would have to go to a different verse. Right. But I can do it with my King mm-hmm. James. Right. So the, the the translation, but the word there would have to be Theos in the Greek, right? Rather yeah. than he, it'd have to be Theos. Right. Okay. So that is definitely a, uh, a contortion or distortion of the uh, original text. Yeah. So, okay. So now Hork, uh, Westcott and Hort... In my opinion, I don't want to be overly critical of them. You're saying that their sources uh, were not as good, but uh, I think that they're a, a reliable translator because they they avoid a lot of what I would call church Greek. You know, they they were true to the coin Greek of the day, and would translate things uh, in a non how should I put it non. Uh, clerical way you know without without prejudice uh, that's that's my feeling how how do you feel about that well uh, uh westcott and hort were completely dishonest what oh they were uh, they were okay commi- what they were commissioned to do was to revise the king james and they were oh. supposed they were instructed to use the same greek manuscripts that the king james had used but they produced their own greek text according to the alexandrian oh manuscript. okay so they, they, so they failed to do honest. their, they failed in their commission. <laughs> they used other right. texts. and <laughs> they record their dishonesty in their own personal writings, where they said if people <laughs> oh, if people okay. find out what we're doing, we're going to be in big trouble. Basically, right? Is yeah. What they said exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I hear nothing but contempt and scorn heaped upon them by you know mainstream Christian theologians. You know, and maybe that's why, right? Okay. Well, actually, most modern Bible critics like the Westcott and Hort text, so mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> they yeah. they don't really have problems with it. 
Yes. But in terms of, you know, going back to the original Greek, now, now you're saying, though, that they, they used the uh, Alexandrinus and the, uh, the, uh, the texts that were preserved or tampered with in Alexandria, Egypt, so right. that, uh, that they would, their original texts would have already been corrupt. Is, uh, that's what you're right. saying. And, okay. and, and the reason that these oldest texts survive, uh, for example, if someone was to dig up my library, say, 500 years from now, the Bible that I use every day will not survive. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I just gave it to my son. Okay. Pages are falling out and all things like that. It would just not survive. Right. Because I use it every day and it gets worn out. Mm-hmm. But I have many different Bibles that I don't use every day. They're setting up on my bookshelf, and those Bibles would, in fact, survive. Right. And that's how these corrupted Bibles survived <laughs> is because they yeah, were put Nobody on bothered with them. <laughs> nobody that's, would use them. That's, that's right. Funny. That's funny. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, and we can show a good example from Polycarp, the student of the Apostle John. Mm-hmm. We would assume that Polycarp, uh, when he's quoting from 1 John 4, 3, that he had a copy of 1 John from the Apostle himself, right? Okay. And he says, For whosoever does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is mm. Antichrist. Mm, that's right. Now that, now that phrase, come in the flesh, that Polycarp quotes, is in the Texas Receptus, but it is not in the Alexandrian manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, obviously, Polycarp, who got his copy of 1 John, presumably from John himself, <laughs> yeah come in the flesh was in there that shows that he used a Texas Receptus Greek Testament. Okay, very interesting. So, you know, it's hard to get any closer to the Apostle John than his student Polycarp. Right. (laughs) And that's recorded in the Epistle of Polycarp, Chapter 7. It's in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume 1, page 34. Mm -hmm. He wrote that around the year 150 A.D., now, the Bible was completed around 100 A.D., so, you know, he, okay. he wrote this with 50 years of the Bible being completed. Okay, now did John live to that date, or John lived he... to about 100 A.D. Some okay. people say 99, so you can argue between 99 and 100 A.D. Okay, so, but, the, but you're ascribing the canon to him and to no others, uh, there wasn't anybody who came after him who added anything or subtracted anything. And as you uh, said, well, I'm not ahead. saying some heretics didn't try, but the churches would have nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah. Now you yeah. also have to understand the churches also collected the letters of these early church fathers as well. They they collected uh, writings from heretics. Uh, these mm-hmm. churches would collect almost anything because. All history is beneficial in one way or another. Sure. I mean, if you want to expose a heresy, what better way to do it than to have the book of the heretic in front of you? Yeah. And to say, this is what he said in his own writing. I mean, in my library, I've got books by Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and and Islamics. I mean, uh, it's not that I believe them all, 
Mm -hmm. It's just I use them for right. reference tools. Well, yeah, I mean, how uh, how otherwise would you know what is contained in the Talmud if right. uh, you right. never looked at it? You know, or uh, the uh, Das Kapital by Karl Marx, right? <laughs> That's you right. Know, all kinds of misstatements are made by all all books by all kinds of people. So you really have to have the original uh, or, or a good copy right in front of you to verify all that. Well, well, that's what we call primary source evidence. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went back because uh, when I was doing research earlier in my youth on the Bible and the text and all this stuff here, I would read the writings from many of these people that support the King James. And then I would read the books from the professors at Oxford or Cambridge or at Princeton mm -hmm. or Harvard, and right. they would say completely different positions. Mm -hmm. And so both can't be right. It, right. Either one's So that's why I went and got the early church fathers for myself and started reading them, because that's primary source evidence. Right. And a, a good example of this is one author who uh, attacks the King James, says that the early church fathers never quote from the Texas Receptus. Never, hmm. he says. And, and so, you know, he says that's, that's an obstacle they can't, these people that support the King James can't overcome. Mm -hmm. Now, if you buy the, the set uh, of the early church fathers for the Antinicene fathers, that is the fathers who wrote before the Council of Nicene, right. there's an index in the back. And one of the indexes is a scripture index. And you can look up the verses where there's a very clear difference between the Texas Receptus and the Alexandrian. Okay. And that's how I found this quote from Polycarp, where he quotes in the flesh in 1 John 4, 3. Uh -huh. Okay. So and, that... so, and, there's, and you can look up all kinds of verses to find out yeah. whether or not it's quoting Texas Receptus or, and many of these examples I give in my book, mm -hmm. uh, so, and I, I quote it for the reader to read for himself, and I give him the page number if he wants to check me out. Right. Uh, and over and over again, they quote from the Texas Receptus, but yet this modern author <laughs> right. said that, that these early church fathers never quote from the Texas Receptus. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And so, but... That's the problem. In modern Christianity, in the modern world, most people don't have a set of the, of the early church fathers in their living room. Right, or in their and library. So they, they, <laughs> yes, right. so they get a book written by Professor so-and-so, and they assume, well, he wouldn't lie. Well, yes, yeah, he right. Yeah, he's a professor, <laughs> I right? Have found, <laughs> I have found these lies over and over and over again, yeah. and that's why I wrote my book. Yes. Because... You know, there's many books written that support the Texas Receptus, but I could not. The only ones that mention the sealing of the canon, they only do so in passing. I was looking for a book that dealt with it mm -hmm. in detail, and I could not find any book that dealt with it, other right. than to say that the Council of Nicaea did it, which there's no record of that, or to say this theory that it was composed over time mm -hmm. and so that's why i started doing this research and why i wrote my book 
Right. Okay. That other people don't have to spend 30 years researching the early church fathers the way I did. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, here, let me quote. Uh, uh, let's see. It's uh, it's past the uh, half hour. I'm expecting um, Daryl to call in. If, if he doesn't, uh, can you hang with us and uh, sure. talk more about this? Okay. Uh, let me quote here on page 47 uh, about Polycarp. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna when Ignatius passed through that city on his way to martyrdom in Rome. Who was Ignatius? Uh, that's a very, the Catholics have call him St. Ignatius. Is this the same Ignatius? That, uh, now, Ignatius was an early church. The Apostolic Fathers are the fathers that knew the apostles. So okay. they're called Apostolic Fathers. He's one Apostolic of Fathers. Okay, very good. Yes. And okay. Ignatius... Uh, we have most more of his writings preserved than any other apostolic father. Okay. So he wrote several letters, and one of his letters was to Polycarp. Okay. All right, so this, uh, this is from Early Christian Writings, translated by yes. Maxwell Staniforth, page 115. Yes. All right, so Ignatius was passing through, uh, according to tradition preserved by Tertullian, he was appointed to this post by St. John the Apostle. Okay, so this is a record of Polycarp being appointed Bishop of Smyrna by John himself. Irenaeus, okay, go ahead. That's how he regulated the churches. He would appoint bishops and give them instruction, especially like if a heresy popped up or a problem popped up and they couldn't settle it themselves, they would contact John and he would take care of the problem. Right. Okay, and uh, Irenaeus, who records the vivid impression Polycarp had made on him in his youth, reports that he, as Polycarp, had been a disciple of St. John and that his direct testimony to the teachings of the apostles was much valued long after their death for Polycarp lived to a great age. Okay, so Polycarp and um, Irenaeus and uh, Ignatius would all have been apostolic fathers? Well, directly? Not, not, not Irenaeus. Irenaeus no? was the student of Polycarp. Ah, okay. But so Ignatius, he did not... Okay. Yeah, and Clement of Rome and... Um, Polycarp, these were apostolic fathers who knew yeah. the apostles themselves. Right. Okay, and then this, uh, from the books and the parchments, it states of Irenaeus, uh, brought up in Asia Minor at the feet of Polycarp, the disciple of John, he became bishop of Lyon in Gaul in AD 180. So we see right. that the, the presence of our people way up in France, because we know you know, from our historical records that we being, we Caucasians being the Israelites of the scriptures migrated into Europe and established Gaul and other European countries, okay? Right, and here's the connection of Celtic Christianity in Uh Gaul originating Mm -hmm. in Asia Minor with with John in Ephesus. Very good, very good. So, uh, so it was in Gaul. It was in, uh, I guess, what we call uh, Normandy, the the coast of France, uh, be, uh, the channel 
uh, against the channel, the British uh, channel, uh, English channel. And so, well, they established churches all the way from the Mediterranean uh, shore of Gaul, mm-hmm. all the way up through the valley to get to Britain. Okay. So there were churches all, over. all through there, established by the apostles. Right. Okay, very good. So the Celtic Church has a definite apostolic foundation, is stronger what you're saying. Stronger than Rome. So, yeah, stronger definitely stronger than Rome. than Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because uh, uh, I wasn't. Uh, I was more aware of the the Celtic Church existing in Britain and Spain. Okay, because the uh, the earliest Christians or the earliest Hebrews went through Spain, and then up to uh, England and Ireland. Okay. Right. Well, and, mo- most of the books uh, written about the apostles in Britain. Uh, they don't focus on what happened in Gaul. There is a good book called The Coming of the Saints mm-hmm. that uh, that goes into great detail about what happened in Gaul. It's, it's a, it, okay. it fills a great gap that right. the other ones have kind of missed on. Right. And you can't really throw stones at them because no historian can write about everything because none of us know yeah. everything. Yeah, and especially this era. This uh, Now, it's interesting... This era, there was all this writing going on by the disciples of John and other apostles. How did this writing f- get phased out? You know, because th- well, these people were literate, very literate. Right. What they, happened? They were. They were very. Matter of fact, in the uh, the early church fathers published in English, we have thirty six volumes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's a French edition of the early church fathers, where it's got French on one side, it's parallel with mm-hmm. either Latin or Greek on the other side. Okay. And it's over 200 volumes. Wow. So wow. much much of the information of the early church fathers is still locked up in <laughs> Greek and in Latin that, that uh-huh. we don't have access to here in English. Right. So where is it locked up? The Vatican? The Vatican basement? Well, the Vatican has it, but like I said, there's a, an over 200 edition set that was mm-hmm. published in French. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we can't get to it, it's just I don't read French. And, right. And I imagine that <laughs> set is pretty expensive. I'll bet, yeah. And, or you know, and, what libraries have it would be another question. Right. Well, yeah. the libraries of Europe, the, the, sure, uh, for sure, all of the great university libraries have a set. Okay. Uh, but I think yeah. that it's not being translated into English, I suspect, for nefarious reasons. Yes. <laughs> because there's information in there that they do not want us to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I that... Mean, d- now, maybe you can answer a question I've had floating around in my consciousness for a while. Uh, why did the early church call itself the Chaldee Church? What's the connection? I've always assumed that it was a reference back to ancient Chaldea, but I, I might be wrong. What, uh, what's well, the terminology? Well, argue about what the word Chaldee means. It's, it's the name that... The Hebrews that brought Christianity to Britain and to northern France were mm-hmm. called Chaldees. Some okay. say certain strangers, others 
say it means a, a holy man or okay. something like that. Okay, I see. So I don't know exactly what it means. And, okay. Uh, all we have is speculation, but we do know that they were called Chaldees. Okay. And those Chaldees formed what we now call Celtic Christianity. Okay, understood, understood. Yeah, because uh, Pastor Steve and I have been doing a series on the um, the Scythians uh, and uh, their relationship to the Hungarians, going all the way back to the post-Noah Noah flood era. And so the Chaldeans uh, were not so much a country, but no. a, a band of roving priests, highly respected priests, okay? Uh, well, they, some... were, they were missionaries. Okay. Basically, they were early Christian missionaries. And you have to understand that the Jews had incited Rome against the Christians, and we were talking about that quote earlier. Right. And they they went to the emperor and caused the the the, the persecution against the Christians because the Jews tried to wipe out Christianity. It didn't work. Right. So what yeah. did they do? And they they're still trying. <laughs> yeah, right? and they manipulated Rome to do their work for them. So uh, the Christians were spreading out. Right. And, uh, you know, and a lot of them were moving out of areas where they were being persecuted. Well, at that time, Britain, uh, much of Britain, was free of Roman influence. Right. And right. the Britons had been at war with Rome for many years. As a matter of fact, uh, Rome finally was able to suppress it, but they they had to bring in three or four legions. Mm-hmm. It's the the only war they have ever fought where it required that many legions to suppress an enemy. Right. And uh, matter of fact, the Romans were so impressed with the early British people that they sent their children to Britain to be educated. Right. Yeah. And, so, and uh, Constantine married a Celtic woman. Helen of Wales. Right, that's right, a, a British woman. That's mm-hmm. right, his, his mother. Uh, oh, yes, was his, also his mother. A British right. woman. Constantius. Constantius was the guy right. who married Helen and begot yes. Constantine. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now, uh, one, one interesting fact here that you record in uh, uh, page 57. Uh, in, ver- in verse 8, we see that tongues would cease. Okay, so the the... Uh, is this a reference to what happened at Pentecost, that people would right. speak in tongues? Uh, take us through that. Right. Well, what happened in, in Acts chapter 2 is there were a lot of people visiting Jerusalem. Israelites were coming back, mm-hmm. and many of them lived in different countries, and, and they no longer spoke Hebrew, and so they spoke their own languages. But here... The crucifixion and resurrection had just happened, and this Mm -hmm. gospel message needed to be preached. But the disciples all spoke Hebrew and Greek. Mm -hmm. And yet there's people here in different languages. Yeah, who didn't speak either. Who might not have spoken either. Yeah, yeah, what God caused was a miracle. Mm -hmm. In that the disciples... In their mind, they were speaking their own language, but it was coming out in the language of these other people. Right. It was a miracle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's called tongues, and, and tongues can easily be translated languages. Right. And it wasn't this, this modern 
babble stuff that the charismatic churches practice is not what had happened. They were speaking known languages because the people in Acts chapter 2 said we hear this message in our own languages. That's right. So That's... it wasn't babble. Right. And, <laughs> we got more and the, today. Purpose, the purpose of the tongues was to preach the gospel because the Bible was not yet sealed and it couldn't be translated into those other languages yet. Right, right. Okay, so uh, what you say here is that there's actually a prophecy that uh, this uh, hearing in our own tongues, even though the speaker is not speaking my language, I still hear it and understand it in my language. That's the miracle, okay? Right. On page 57, you say, The fact that tongues had ceased during the time of the early church is verified by John Chrysostom in the 4th century when he was commenting on 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 2, where he writes, This whole place is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation being such as then used to occur, but now no longer take place. All and right. that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says, that tongues would cease. Uh-huh. And, and since uh, you're looking at my manuscript version, I found a second quote from okay. Augustine, who also recorded that tongues ceased. And he says, In the earliest times the Holy Ghost fell on them that believed, and they spake with tongues, which they had not learned, mm-hmm. as the Spirit gave them utterance. These were signs adapted to the time, for there behooved to be that betokening of the Holy Spirit in all tongues, to show that the gospel of God was to run through all tongues over the whole earth. Mm-hmm. That thing okay. was done for a betokening, and it passed away. Mm-hmm. That's in Augustine's homilies on the first epistle of John. Very interesting. Okay, so yeah. it passed away about the same time that the uh, canon was finalized, or That's to right. use your term, sealed. <laughs> and, and the reason for that is, once the once the Bible was completed it could now be translated into all languages. Right. And that's immediately what the churches started doing, uh, is translating the Bible into all known languages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, okay, well, obviously the Celtic Church did not ha- yet have English. Well, it would have had some form of uh, Celtiberian, uh, uh, Scotch. Uh, what? Uh, what's your... Uh, understanding there. What language was it translated to in Britain? In Britain, uh, there are early manuscripts that show the various languages of Britain had scriptures translated into them. But also, uh, in time, Rome did conquer Britain, at least most of it, and they did learn Latin. And so they had Uh. copies of the old Latin Bible. Okay. As a matter of fact, it's recorded that they had a complete Old and New Testament long before the Council of Nicaea. In Latin, in the Celtic Church, you're saying? Yes, in Latin, wow. in the Celtic Church. And this, okay. this was the Old Latin. It was you know, the same Bible, uh-huh. basically, uh, used by St. Patrick. So even the Latin is not Roman Catholic. <laughs> the no, original no, Latin, 
That's very no, interesting. The, okay. Rome didn't get a hold of the Latin Bible until the year 400 when Jerome made a standardized edition now called the Latin Vulgate. Right. Okay. So, all right, so the Vulgate, what, uh, give us your characterization of that with about nine minutes left. Um, the Vulgate has a few corruptions to it. It's got good and bad to it. So, okay. Um, well, I guess what I'm getting at, is there a lot of Catholic doctrine inserted in that translation already that early, you know, that would, uh, you know, like the sacraments or anything like that? Is that already? Well, they, yes, they they do word things kind of different, um, but it's it usually comes through in translations, not necessarily in the Vulgate itself. Uh-huh. Uh For for example, uh, the word church. Uh, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, mm-hmm. which literally means congregation. Tyndale, right. when he translated his New Testament, he translated translated the word congregation. Right, and that's this upset the Catholics terribly. Uh, 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 they wanted uh, the word church. Church, yeah, right, yeah. Because uh, the word church is more representative of their establishment authority as opposed right? to exactly is the authority. They don't like that mm. idea. <laughs> right, right, but that's what Paul set up was congregations. Right. right, he he didn't care what kind of building they were using, and as you said, they were most of these were house churches that's or house right. congregations. Right. Exactly. That's right. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Captain Witness in the chat room uh, tells us that the Ten Commandments were neutered in the Vulgate. I don't know if Jerome is at fault there, but their the arrangement of the Ten Commandments in the Vulgate in the Catholic Bible is different from that in the yeah. King James and Protestant Bibles. Yes, comment. it is slightly different, and I would say that the Protestant Bibles are more accurate on that okay. issue. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, uh, also on page 57, while tongues ceased among the Christians, it was an ongoing thing among pagans and heretics. Yes. So they kept it up, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Right? For pagans, yep. tongues was not known languages, but rather unintelligible sounds and noises, like you yes, mentioned. This, a, go ahead. This was going on in Corinth long before there was ever a church there. Really? The pagan temple in Corinth had these grunting uh, <laughs> priests. And, Evangelicals, and, uh, charismatics, sorry. Well, literally, they were right. temple whores. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And they would make all oh. these gruntings and things, and, and they were speaking in mm-hmm. unknown tongues. <laughs> yeah. Come here. <laughs> right. It's, it's a non, non-virgin temple horror speaking in low tones of voice. Now, uh, now wasn't it the case, because uh, I remember Paul in his epistle to the Corinthians, uh, is that the center of Athena worship? Where uh, you know he was talking about uh, uh, criticizing the Corinthians for following that type of doctrine instead of uh, with the true you know pure Christianity. Well, uh, the main problem in Corinth w- wasn't that they were following um, pagan goddesses; it's that they were tolerating Christians who were practicing sin. There was a man there oh. in Corinth that had married his father's wife. Ooh. 
Ooh, yeah, and yeah. and, and the, the church there was, was not even saying boo to him about it. Uh-huh. And the Apostle Paul had to come down strongly on them in 1 Corinthians right. that you need to shun this man so that he will miss the fellowship, repent, and right. turn from the sin. Well, that's then interesting. In of, yeah, yeah, go ahead. In 2 Corinthians, they were shunning him so bad, even after he repented, Paul had to <laughs> write to them and say, now that he's repentant, now you bring him back into the fellowship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Repentance and reputation are two different things. <laughs> right. But th- this actually brings up the point you mentioned earlier. We were talking about faith and the law. Here we see that Paul is coming down hard on this guy that uh, married his father's wife. Was yeah. his father still alive at the time? No. I, I, no. I, my understanding is his father had died or whatever yeah but still it would still be incest whether he's alive or not correct well whatever the old testament (laughs) law says you can't do that (laughs) okay right so so paul was definitely upholding the the ten commandments oh yeah well not only that uh paul when he justified paying preachers right god's law that says the muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn that's that's the Old Testament law, and the argument is from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if you're not going to muzzle the oxen, the animal, the lowly animal, surely mm-hmm. you're not going to do that to your preachers. Right. Yeah, and yeah. That, that argument is often used in Scripture. It's called the argument of the lesser to the greater. Okay, but you would muzzle a dog, right? So <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yes, the, the Bible talks about uh, the New Testament, especially that you don't let heretics speak in the church. Right. Paul says oh, that he gave them, man. He gave them place, no, not for an hour. Right. In other words, the, these heretics want to come into our churches and say, "Well, my opinion's uh, just as good as yours," and uh, oh, I tell okay. them, "No, it's not." <laughs> That's great. What verse is that? Because we need to use that against these churches that allow all of these non-Christians, you know, Wiccans, Muslims rabbis, all kinds of people, to preach sermons from their pulpits. All right? So if Paul, yes. is, if Paul is saying this outwardly you know, and clearly, that's a very important verse. Okay. Let's see. Go I'm going to use my strongs here and find out exactly where yeah. that is. Where okay. Well, while you're looking for that, the heretic Montanus claimed that he and his followers were still receiving new prophecies of Scripture and were speaking in tongues after the time that John had died. Montanus denounced those who rejected his authority and teachings. So here's, an, here's a false priest, you know, claiming he has powers that uh, obviously he does not have uh, in order to gain some sort of authority. Yeah, and we have that, that type of preacher today, too. Amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's sad. I yeah. believe what we're looking for is Galatians chapter 2 and verse 5. Okay. Let me look that up too. Galatians. So where Paul says, muzzle not the ox, right? No, no. This, no? this is where we're talking, not giving them place for an hour. No, oh, give them place. Okay. Uh, I can maybe yes. look. Okay. 
Here, in, in, starting in verse 4, it says, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, so that's the same, mm. that's what Judaism would do, would send in these false brethren, right. who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to right. whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, mm-hmm. that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Okay. In other words, when you have someone coming in that's trying right. to preach or teach heresy, you are not to let them preach. You're yeah, not to not, let them teach. Not to tolerate, and you're to shun that person as well. So Exactly. You're uh, to shun so, them. Okay, so Galatians 2, 4, and 5. Very good. Very good. That's very interesting. All right, so to whom we gave place by subjection, uh, no, not for an hour, uh, which is kind of uh, awkward wording. But I, I see, I see your point that that's exactly what I would say. We would not give these place uh, subject our own subjection, not even for an hour. Right. So the truth exactly. of the gospel that's might. Con- yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah, because I remember we uh, a group of us did a study of Galatians one, two, and three, and uh, the the meaning of this verse was unclear to us. Okay. Right. So you have just well, clarified that. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and, the the whole focus of the book of Galatians, a lot of people use Galatians when they try to say God's law is done away with, is Galatians is dealing with those who use God's law for salvation. And okay. for that purpose, God's law doesn't work. Right. Because God's it, law can't save. Well, it didn't work Only in the, the Old Testament. Yeah, saves. it it didn't work in the Old Testament, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> right? Okay. That's why As we need. A lot of people don't understand that the animal sacrifices did not wash away sins. What they did is they pushed sins forward every year. Okay. And the sins kept accumulating like one huge Ooh. sin snowball. And, it, right. and every year, everyone's oh. sins, <laughs> the snowball kept the snowball that rolls bigger. into hell. <laughs> right. right. But okay. when Jesus came, Jesus' blood actually washed it all away. Mm-hmm. It didn't yes. push it forward. It took it away. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so yeah. that that's one of the ways that Jesus is better than animal sacrifices, because oh. all they could do is push it forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, that's why it had to be done every year. And even That's Paul right. says in Hebrews, it says the blood of goats and, and oxen cannot, you know, uh, forgive sins. You know, this was just a yeah, temporary. Yeah, and it can't, it yeah, can't relieve the conscience either. Mm-hmm. Only the blood of Jesus. When, when, when we ask God to forgive us, the Holy Spirit lets us know that our sins are forgiven. So yes. it cleans our conscience. Okay. All right. We're getting very close to the end. Would you please give out your contact info? I almost forgot to ask you that. So uh, Okay. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me, they can contact me at Cry Aloud to Israel. That's C-R-Y-A-L-O-U-D, the number two, Israel, at mm-hmm. yahoo.com. Cry Aloud to Israel at yahoo.com. I'm glad, I'm glad I thought of that because we're under one minute to go. So, uh, Pastor... And you can get my book at lulu.com. Okay, and the title of the book is How God Gave Us the Canon of the Scriptures by Jeffrey right. A. Weekly. Okay? That's correct. Thank you very much for a, a very wonderful interview, and uh, yeah, we'll be in touch 
in the near future, okay? Thanks a lot, All Jeffrey. Right. Okay. God bless. Take care. Yahweh bless. All right. All right, folks, that's our interview with Jeffrey Weekly on how the canon was arranged for us by none other than John the Apostle and not no stinking church. <laughs> all right. So thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.